Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. We're in season four, episode three, I think now, year 2020, roughly around March. Um, today we are joined by Jordan Fox. Jordan has just recently completed her PhD at Central Queensland University in Australia, where she looked at the relationship between training loads, sleep, and performance in male basketball players. So um, Jordan is new in her career, embarking on a new journey, looking for a postdoc. So congratulations, Jordan, on finishing your PhD and all the best in the future for this uh, new career you're embarking on. So thanks for Jordan for doing the podcast. Uh, It was her first podcast to do. And I'm sure she'll do many more as she develops her career in this area. So thanks to Jordan for coming on today. Don't forget you can follow us at sleepforperformance.com.au on our website for lots of free stuff. We've got some good stuff coming up this year uh, on Twitter at Sleep for Perform, uh, Sleep for Performance Radio on Instagram as well. We've got an Instagram account there and on Facebook also Sleep for Perform. Don't forget as well, you can sign up for the monthly newsletter. It's only once a month. We won't spam you. We won't sell your data to anybody. We promise. And you can get a monthly email there with a digest of the blogs, the podcast that we record, and any other relevant information there that's relevant to Sleep for Performance and our consulting arm, Amelia's Consulting, which is an occupational health and performance consulting business. So... You get lots of info there, all roll into one every month for free, and you can keep up to date what's going on. Okay, now on with the episode. Jordan, welcome to Sleep for Performance Radio. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. So, Jordan, people may have not met you before. You're new on the scene around the, the sleep and performance world. Do you want to give us a bit of a background of uh, where you're from and uh, where, you, uh, where you maybe where you grew up and a little bit of background on you? Um, yeah, so pretty much grew up in central Queensland, so in Mackay. Uh, and then when I studied, started studying my undergrad, so exercise and sports science, moved to Rocky to study at CQU. Now, Rocky, um, we, we do actually, we have some international listeners on the podcast. So people say Rocky, they'll think you moved in with Rocky out of the movie. So when you say Rocky, you mean uh, where? <laughs> Rockhampton in Rockhampton Queensland. Rockhampton in Queensland, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's right. Uh, yeah. And then I've been at CQ ever since. So had an interest in research during my undergrad and then went on to do honours and a PhD. So that's all kind of just hand out. Uh, so you grew up in Mackay, which is a, an interesting town because it's on the coast there in, in Queensland. I, I've been up there a couple of times for work. I was actually going to move up there at one stage for a job because inland from Mackay, you've got a number of coal mines. And, yes. um, yeah, so I was going to take up a job actually working there. I looked at potentially moving to Mackay and then traveling in and out during the week to work in some of those coal mines. So pretty nice spot. Lots of places there where you can go sailing, snorkeling, lots of things. Yeah, there's so much close by. Yeah. Yeah. So if, when, you, did you, when you grew up there in Mackay, um, what sort of activities did you do when you were growing up or what sort of sport did you play? Um, yeah, a lot of more gyms, so like resistance training and that sort of thing was more my star rather than I suppose team sport um never basketball until I did research so (laughs) that's always interesting yeah and so you were just more like just kind of general keep fit you weren't um sort of crazy into a a specific sport when you were growing up or were you a rugby league fan because a lot of people are rugby league fans up there definitely a fan never played though never played so yeah (laughs) cool Mm -hmm. so you um 
when you were going to school, you said you went, you end up going and studying exercise physiology as part of your undergrad. Was that something you always wanted to study in school or did, would, is that where you saw or you thought your career would go? I absolutely had no idea um, when I was sort of towards the end of grade 12 and as everyone else does trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. Fitness was just something that I guess I'd always been interested in and sort of passionate about. Um, so studying exercise and sports science was just a way to see what I could do with that as a career. Um, and then research was just something that was never planned, but had a few research based courses here that I really enjoyed. And then I just took off from there really. And what was it about the research that you, that you liked about it so much? Cause a lot of people kind of get turned off research and they want to just do more coursework and just get a job and move on and get out of uni as soon as possible. And other people sort of got on the research route for different reasons. What was it that attracted you to research? I think I just like the idea that if I have a question or if there's something that I want to know, I have the capability to go and find out. You know, if you're a practitioner and there's something you want to know without that sort of research background, sometimes it's hard to know exactly how to maybe test a hypothesis or um, look at if, you know, one thing affects the other. So I think with research, having that control over the direction that we want to take that knowledge, I think is something that really appeals to me. And do you like that in general in your life, like, or just for sports related activities? Are you, are you that way inclined, let's say around, I don't know, history, politics, engineering? Do you have those questions that you want to go and seek out? Or is it just in a, is it just around sports science and human performance that really attracts you to the research element? Um, I think a bit of both. I think being so heavily involved in sport, like obviously it's what I studied and now I have that knowledge base to kind of take it in that direction. I think, um, you know, I try and stay informed about other issues and find that information, but it's not something I could probably, you know, research myself, I suppose. Yeah. And so you ended up, um, so recently you just finished your PhD thesis and submitted it. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations. That is a brilliant achievement. It's always good to get that one done and dusted and out of the way. Absolutely. <laughs> and I presume you got 50 more questions that you want to answer now and you're probably, you probably feel like you're no better off at the end of the thesis than you were before. It probably feels worse. Oh, every day, every day I added like a research idea to my list and I'm like, you have too many. <laughs> <laughs> so Jordan, um, um, can you give us a brief overview of your PhD topic and what was the kind of questions you were trying to answer on that? Uh, yeah, so overall we wanted to look at the relationships between workload or training load, sleep um, and in-game performance in basketball players. So we looked at, first of all, how practitioners monitor basketball players, how they use the data that they get to sort of um, inform training prescription and optimise that player performance. Um, and then we looked at how, so training and game workloads impact sleep. So if they have a hard game or a hard training session, does that then affect how they sleep that night? Uh, and then also directly looking at how workload and sleep the week leading into a game actually affects how they perform during competition. Hmm. Okay, so let's um, let's go back there to the first one. You spoke about monitoring of players. So how do sports scientists, performance staff or coaches, how do they currently monitor workload and performance in athletes, in basketball athletes? Yeah, so a lot of the workload, I think, moving towards wearable technology. So that's things obviously like um, heart rates, accelerometers, inertial sensors. 
and then also things like obviously perceptual measures. So we primarily looked at perceived exertion during training, um, but then obviously there's I think more of a push towards well-being measures and that other subjective data that possibly gives us more insights. Um, so a lot of what we found was that while practitioners had quite an interest in monitoring, there was still a lot of questions in basketball, I guess, as to what data we should be collecting and how we then use it yeah. to sort of modify what the players are doing. So I think there's still a bit, a few questions in that space as to what the best metrics are and the best ways to monitor basketball players because um, there's just not a lot done. Yeah. Currently. So with, with with the monitoring that you were doing, was it looking at like GPS type monitoring? Did it have those um, GPS little chips like they have in the um, like the catapult systems like they have in the jerseys in rugby league or rugby union or did it have those embedded into the jersey? Yeah. So wearing the, um, yeah, like the catapults that fit in those vests, um, because it's all indoors, we can't get GPS metrics. So instead oh, of, of course, things yeah. like speed or distance, <laughs> That we get outdoors, we use yeah acceleration-based metrics and then um, some inertial metrics that tells us things like accelerations, decelerations, how many times they jump during the session. Yeah, and then I think one. Uh, of the and good, then I was going to say one of the good things about basketball and one of the bad things about basketball is that it's very rich in data in terms of scoring, meters run, uh, fouls. There's like you know tons of data that can be extracted as in from performance variables that you can look at in relation to that workload as well. Yeah, I think, like you said, it is a good thing and a bad thing. Um, so I think we're still at a point where we're getting so much data, but we don't really have an idea of which of those metrics we should then be reporting back to the players or giving to the coaches and then using those ones, um, you know, to modify performance to bring about those adaptations that we want. Um, and I think in basketball, in the scheme of things, those that wearable monitoring and all like the stats and things are quite new yeah. in some ways. Um, so I think it is still at the moment a bit tricky, tricky to navigate what data we use and how we use it. Um, but I suppose that was why the PhD come about as well. So yeah. And so with this with this research, you said you're looking at the workload, like in the days before before the game. Um, if we just take a step back, and obviously most PhDs and yours would be no exception would start with a lit review of what's going on actually within the um, within sort of professional athletes. What did you find prior to actually asking these questions within basketball athletes? What did you find generally that the literature was actually telling us about workload monitoring and the relationship of performance and recovery around sleep? What, what was the what was the sort of consensus in the literature? Yeah, so we found that with workload and performance, even though you know, there's the structural framework that tells us if we administer the right workload with appropriate recovery, we obviously get improved performance. There wasn't a great deal of studies, this is in team sport generally, that had directly compared workload to performance measures. So again, it was a bit difficult to know what measures we should be actually using and whether they actually inform how the players perform. Um, so there was only, I think, there's like one or two studies done in basketball at all and they were quite brief so there wasn't much of a selection of workload measures um so i think the implications for us more so was that there probably needs to be sport specific data so looking at metrics that we know are applicable to a certain sport and kind of correlating that to what specific adaptations we want to see from the players um so yeah i think there's still a lack of information about what 
just what data we should be getting mm. um, in general. Yeah, it can be quite it can be quite difficult, I think, to um, you know to have all these different data sets, like you were saying, and correlate them to actually said this is you know we should have a player, you know, training four times a week, x amount of hours, this amount of intensity, plus they should be sleeping x y z hours, um, with you know this strategy when they travel, and this will equal best performance on the night, because even if we had that. I think the other variable that comes in on top of it is what is the strategy for the game? Is who is your opposition? So you may be playing more defensive, offensive. You may be in a position, you may have to do a completely different strategy. So it's very difficult, I find, to get this relationship between workload, recovery, you know, sleep, all related to performance. It's, it's, it's really difficult. And we kind of have to, I think at the moment, we just deal in generics and we know that, you know, Training too much or training too little or sleeping too too little or lots of travel equals an impact on performance. So I think we still really have to, we're constantly shaping this information as we go. And I like what you said as well, Jordan, about we have to really be sports specific because what might work for a rugby team might necessarily work for a basketball team. And I think then even more broadly, if we take team sports versus individuals, there's going to be a big disparity between those as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's why we specifically wanted to do work in basketball looking at sort of workload and sleep with performance because there is probably more data in field-based sports, but you just can't apply the same metrics. So you look at something that's so intermittent and high intensity as basketball and we're just never going to get the same data that we would from, you know, total average distance because it's just not the nature of the sport just aren't the same. Yeah, yeah. Did you find any other sort of information in similar sports, like um, a similar sport that people might see as, actually, before I ask this question, did you work with male or female athletes? Uh, male athletes, so, so semi-professional. So professional male yeah. athletes? Semi-professional, yeah. Semi-professional, okay, okay. All right. Um, so, no, I forgot my question. <laughs> <laughs> so I had that question that I forgot. Um, <laughs> uh, I completely lost my train of thought there. This is what happens, you see, when you do these. You get, you get, you go down a rabbit hole and then you forget. So yeah, so you had male athletes. Um, so oh yeah, so similar sports. So did you look at other similar, maybe let's say female athletes in basketball? Did you look at? So was there any other relationship between maybe you know different gender or what about other sports like netball that might be similar? And I know people probably don't want basketball to be compared to netball, so don't kill me. But I'm just talking about something that might be similar in terms of the, uh, you know, the training, the physiological responses, and the actual game performance might might have some similarities. Um, was there anything in those similar sports that you were able to kind of drag across? Um, not particularly. We're sort of in the same boat where there's, I guess, descriptive studies that have looked at, you know, what players during training, during training, or what they do during games. Um, but just in court-based sport generally, there was just nothing that correlated that workload data or the sleep data yeah. directly to performance. Um, it was just, yeah, something that was really limited sort of across the board. And so what methods did you use then, Jordan, with these uh, basketball players to assess sleep across the, um, across the studies? Yeah, so sleep was um, actigraphs and then sleep diaries. So sleep wait time and then sleep quality was all done in their sleep diaries. Yeah. Um, and then we obviously match that up with the wrist-worn, like, activity monitors. 
to get some object- objective data. Object, yeah. And so one of the things you said you looked at was actually the sleep um, in the, on the nights before they played a game, which would generally be around the weekend. Um, so what sort of sleep were these athletes having in terms of hours of sleep per night on average? And then what sort of sleep were they having leading into the game as well? Was that increasing or decreasing or what was happening? Yeah, so one thing we did, um, which was probably a bit novel, I guess, for this study, was looking at how sleep accumulated prior to the game impacted performance. So if we looked at the night immediately prior to a game compared to, like, how much sleep they got the two or three or four nights prior to the game. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, as you'd expect, immediately before a game, they slept a bit lower um, sleep sort of generally was around seven hours a night. So just in that bottom end of, I suppose, what the recommendation would be, um, but probably not ideal. Um, so one of the interesting things, I guess, was that even if we looked at sleep over four nights before competition, the quality of their sleep still affected what they did during games. Um, so things like points, rebounds, assists were all higher when they had better sleep over multiple nights. Um, and then things like their overall efficiency um, in terms of performance were also higher. So the more sleep they got, the better they performed on court? Yep. Mm. And were you able to ca- calculate that, that in sort of um, in a value term and say, look, if you get, so you say on average you get seven hours, but if you get six hours, you're generally 20% you know, worse during a game, or if you get five hours, you're 30%. Were you able to kind of come up with a bit of a, um, a matrix or a curve that was able to demonstrate that performance loss or, or change? Yeah, so they were still sort of, I guess, like small to moderate improvements. Um, and being a descriptive study, like because their sleep was probably within an acceptable range, we didn't see, like we saw that positive association. So we didn't see any sort of negative association with the amount of errors they made on the court, for example. Okay. Um, but we obviously know from past research that if, you're putting players in a position where their sleep's quite restricted, you're going to see those errors um, potentially. So I think uh, we maybe just didn't see it because they were within, I guess, that normal range, yeah. so to speak. I think it's, I think it's, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, uh, you know, you're saying about the studies being descriptive or observational in design. It can be challenging working with elite athletes to, you know, come up with studies that are very, um, intervention based or have different sort of, to like a randomized controlled trial because you haven't got the luxury of playing around with players sleep travel training schedules during the week because the impact to the game and the, and the salary and the advertising is there so you can't actually you know play with these variables and it's also very difficult to get them into a laboratory as well for weeks on end to replicate a season or a game because of the cost and the time associated with it so it can be very difficult to make these intervention-based studies in, in real or applied studies. And so it's the kind of the downfall, I think, of dealing with athletes like this. But on the good side too, I think, Jordan, like you said, you, there's very little in basketball and we got to start somewhere. And to create that baseline of observational data is really important. So, um, yeah, I think, I, think you're, I think you're right in what you're saying around that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for us, there was no way we were going to get um anything other than observational data we just get i think being semi professional we get limited access to players because you know half of them have jobs or families at home and you know other things to do so i think observational data was from a logistical sense where we had to go 
Um, but at the same time, I was pretty happy with compliance. So we get nearly perfect compliance from players with, you know, wearing their monitors during training and games and filling out subjective data. So I think in that sense, we're probably fortunate to have a good data set of descriptive data that we can sort of build on. Yeah. How did you manage to do that, Jordan? Because a lot of people, including myself, have had trouble in different sporting codes trying to get people to adhere to filling in diaries, reporting information, you know, wearing actographs, whatever it might be. What, what sort of tricks did you use to, uh, to get them to comply? Did you threaten violence or were you just nice to them? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's always a bit of a challenge, I think, especially coming from as a researcher. So when you're not you know, strictly their sports scientists and you're not, you know, you're not employed by the team, they probably don't owe you anything. So I think it's really important to kind of explain what you're doing and how it can help them. So a big thing that I've always found is just giving that regular feedback to the players in particular because they're the ones, you know, you want the data off. So I made a point of sitting down with players every week individually, giving them their data, explaining it. Um, If we wanted to modify training, telling them, that we wanted to modify it and then going to the coach um, just to try and keep them in the loop as well. So I think, yeah, yeah, that open conversation I think has been really helpful for us and just building that rapport and getting through to them that, you know, we're there because we want to do things that are going to help them perform, not just, you know, to publish an article. So I think, yeah, feedback was probably a really good thing to have. Yeah, I think another thing there you said as well is interesting is keeping the coach involved in in the in the in the conversation as well and engaged in what you're doing. So I think even though like your studies were, you know, you said they were descriptive or observational, there was a lot of I suppose it sounds like you did a lot of coaching or mentoring along the way around sleep. So there was some support or um, benefit to these players that participate in the study. So it, f- it feels like you're saying that you know you were helping them by educating them to make those improvements week on week. Is that fair to say? Uh, Yeah, I definitely like to think so. We definitely, yeah, gave them the data and gave them those recommendations. So, yeah. Yeah. And what what would you say to, if anybody's sitting out there at the moment or listening to this and they're either a coach in basketball or a physiologist or a player, what would be some of the things you would say to them that they would need to consider um, around their training load and sleep? Maybe, maybe we we'll break this into three parts: before a game, after a game, and then recovery from a game. Um, yeah, so I think sleep quality before a game was really important. Um, that was probably one of the key variables that um, directly influenced performance. Uh, I think for us, one thing we're looking at um, that we're doing before games is trying to organise travel so that. You know, we're not getting to a new location, you know, the day of a game or a few yeah. hours before they play. So they're trying to get them get them settled in, I suppose. Um, yeah, and I think there were, I guess, some associations between um, workload measures and performance. I think looking at it maybe just in that week before the game probably wasn't enough. Um, I think we probably still need some more work into the best way to sort of periodize that and um, what metrics we look at over longer periods. Um, but it just wasn't something I suppose that was part of the thesis necessarily. Yeah. And how do athletes in general sleep after games? Did they get reduced amount of sleep or did they sleep, you know, seven, eight hours or did that depend on the time of the game? 
Yeah, so games was a big one where we found that sleep was affected after. Um, so one of the key things we found that was when workload was higher during games, so when they had a hard game, sleep duration went way down. So even if they were doing equivalent workloads during a training session, sleep was pretty similar. But once they have a harder game, we found that they were getting sort of maybe four or five hours a night compared to seven or eight. So it's a pretty big jump. Um, I think probably not entirely workload related. I think you probably have to take into account, you know, the fact that they're traveling or they're, you know, going out after a game potentially um, and that the games are scheduled quite late. So I think scheduling is probably a big thing when you've got players starting a game at seven or eight, they typically go for probably two hours, um, you know, and then they're sharing afterwards, they're doing media potentially. So they're not going to get home until, you know, midnight probably or later. So I think managing that scheduling around games is probably really important. So even if it's just giving them time to sleep in the day after a game or changing training so they're not, um, you know, training straight after or the day after yeah. is probably a useful approach, I think. And because this team was semi-professional, in general, how did it train throughout the week? Did they train early in the morning, after work or late at night? How, what was their sort of training regime in general? Yeah, so typically nighttime training sessions, so uh, two or three nights a week at sort of like 7, 8 o'clock, yeah. um, maybe a bit earlier because, yeah, you've got, you know, players who are working full-time jobs potentially or, you know, have to pick up kids from school. So it's definitely a little bit different where the scheduling probably changes to kind yeah. of suit those needs of players. And did you look into the chronotype um, of these athletes and were they more morning type or evening type or was that something that you considered in a? Uh, yeah, so we have the data. It's nothing that um, I've analysed yet. Uh, one thing we did sort of consider is that because the players were quite young, um, so most of them are under 25, from a sleep perspective, they're still in that age range where they're, they probably need that bit more sleep. Yeah. But they also tend to be, I guess, biologically inclined to go to sleep that bit later. Um, so scheduling in particular was something that we found to be quite important because a lot of the guys were, yeah, probably still going to bed quite late. So if we had have had, you know, morning training sessions and things like that, that probably would have been an issue yeah. for how they sleep and how they perform. So just by virtue of their age and the, the design and availability of people, it actually fit in quite nicely in terms of training um, because they were all yeah. probably under 25, more like an owl chronotype, go to bed late, get up late uh, because they had jobs or other activities during the day. Training at night was more suited and this would be in, in that area where they would be probably hitting peak performance anyway. So it's probably... um probably a nice way of training anyway for this group like you say early morning training sessions at six o'clock in the morning would have actually probably reduced well it would have reduced the sleep opportunity and then definitely probably would have well definitely would have reduced the sleep duration so yeah definitely i think yeah, yeah scheduling is one thing that seems to have stuck out in i suppose the literature review um but also the original studies that we did is that a lot of the impact on sleep duration we see is purely because we're just minimising how much time athletes have to sleep, um, which I guess in some ways is maybe an easy problem, but when you look at logistics, not always, um, mm. but definitely something that can probably be considered a bit more. Yeah, for sure. I found that in some of my own research as well around the scheduling. You know, in Super Rugby, we'd often have games on a Saturday night between 7 and 9. 
the guys would go out afterwards, like you say, media, food, might have a couple of drinks, could be anywhere from 2 o'clock till 7 o'clock in the morning when they're getting to sleep after the game, hyped up, but then they're back in, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning for training. And so we changed that then the following season and we had an average, you know, nearly an hour per person per night increase in sleep duration just by manipulating some of those schedules. So um, you're dead right, you know, in terms of the scheduling. It uh, can be an easy way to do it, but also can be quite difficult sometimes depending on culturally what's happening. Another similar one as well there, Jordan, is around the area that you live in, in Mackay. It's like we see the same thing in, in things like mining, oil and gas, industry, and so on. We talk about organizational factors and individual factors, and your studies are very much about the individual factors, about you know how are these guys training, performing, recovering. But on the organizational side, like you've identified is things like you know the training times, the game times, the travel. These are all things that all influence industry as well. So, you know, in some of the work that I do consulting with businesses, these are some of the same factors we talk about. If you fly into a mine site at four o'clock in the morning or you're working from half four to half four every day, these sort of um, start and finish times are going to impact the person's ability to achieve good sleep and therefore will cause a fatigue issue. So I think some of the stuff you're saying here is not just applicable to sport, but it's also applicable to many other industrial applications as well. So there's lots of crossover, I think, from what you found here. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you might, um, you might, as a separate question or career, might want to look into that, um, seeing as you're in that location. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jordan, you finished this PhD. Um, gone through and i presume have any of your papers been released yet or in review or, or how are those progressing at present uh yeah so we've got three that are already published um one that's been accepted but it's not available online yet uh and then another two that are still with journals so hopefully get something from them okay in so the next got, month or so perfect so you got three published already yes and they're out there for everybody to have a look at they are, yes. Great. We'll put the links to those uh, three publications in the show notes so people can go and have a look at those abstracts or if they're open access can get them um, so we can people can have a, a read of those more broadly as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so what's next for you, Jordan, in terms of uh, career-wise? Are you going to do postdoc? Are you going to go work? Are you going to take a break? Or what's, 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 what's next? Yeah, so ideally a postdoc. Um, I haven't even started applying for anything yet. I'm just happy to have the thesis gone. Um, yeah, I think I'm more concerned about getting maybe the right postdoc. Um, yeah. I think I've sort of studied in the same place with the same supervisors, which has been amazing. But I think it would be nice to, um, you know, expand my expertise a little bit further, potentially, you know, collaborate with different people. So I'll be putting feelers out very soon, I guess. And do you want to stay in the exercise physiology realm? Do you want to move more into sleep science, um, chronobiology? What what sort of areas are you, are you thinking about expanding from here after um, doing this? Yeah, I think definitely still sports science. So training load research has been something I've done for quite a few years now and it's something that I still have a strong interest in. Um, but then I think sleep, there's still so much to do in that space as well. Um, so I think I would either probably both yeah well i think um, you, i yeah. think in this day and age you can there's so much ways like you said there's so much to do you can kind of mix and match your own portfolio to um to add to that as well so yeah definitely you could do those 
Well, that's great. So, Jordan, um, if people want to follow you, get in contact, got some questions, maybe someone's got a postdoc position and they want to talk to you about it, or maybe they want to to have a look at their basketball team or other, how could people get in contact with you? Uh, yep, so probably easiest is either via email. Um, so j.fox2 at cqu.edu.au. Yep. Um, or I do love Twitter. So jordanlfox1 is the handle. All right, we'll put those in the show notes as well so people can just click on those and, and send you a message if they wish. Jordan, Perfect. thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on and discussing your research. We wish, wish you all the best in the future with this. And um, it's great to see more people getting involved in the sleep and performance type research. So thank you very much. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that was Jordan Fox from Central Queensland University. So once again, thank you to Jordan for doing the podcast episode today. Really appreciate her taking time out to do that. She's probably still celebrating the end of her PhD. So don't forget to have a look at the show, lo- show notes, show notes, show notes um, in the podcast uh, episode. If you're looking on your app or on the website, have a look at those links there for some of Jordan's published research already and how to get in contact with Jordan. If you'd like to follow me, you can do so at Sleep for Perform on Twitter. You can send me an email at iandunican at sleepforperformance.com.au or at ian.dunican at meliasconsulting.com.au. If you have any ideas for future guests, we'd really appreciate that. Or future topics would help us kind of shape the guests that we have on this year. Also as well, if you are enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate you going to iTunes and leaving a very short review with a few stars there, one to five, whatever you feel is appropriate. And if you have any feedback, please don't hesitate to send it back to us. Cheers. Sleep well. <laughs>